Sonic Statesman.com. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 106. This is uh, being broadcast live, as is now our want. You can find us at sonicstate.com forward slash live. Thank you very much, everybody in the chat room, for joining us this week. So um, let's start off uh, by introducing our guests uh, on the other side of the pond, who are presumably um, all kind of blinking into the daylight, if any of them stayed up watching the elections and all that kind of stuff. Um, We've got Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut. Always great to be with you fellows. Hey, Rich. Having a good good day, good week, good good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Cool. We'll survive. We'll survive this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it would have been momentous whoever won, apparently, because uh, if it was McCain, you'd have had a lady in the White House as a VP, and if it, and, and obviously Obama, the first African American. So either way, yep. there was some kind of groundbreaking going on. So anyway, Rich, and- I'm glad you could join us. And also, we got PJ Tracy. Uh, in Minneapolis. Oh, first of all, I must say, Rich, of course, can be found at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. So, uh, also, Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. How are you doing, PJ? Uh, very good Good evening, wherever you are. So, anyway, PJ Tracy, um, welcome to, uh, I guess, a new um, democratic US. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I'm... I was fascinated by the entire election process, and unlike most, I'm actually sad to see election season go because I'm a news junkie. So it's been it's been a a pretty high grade uh, news cycle. You know, a lot a lot going on here in the U.S. And now that'll well, it'll probably continue. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be yeah. plenty more to come. To be perfectly yeah. honest, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. PJ Tracy, of course. PJ Tracy Music dot com. Yes. Anyway, there we go. And of course, I'm um, Dave Spears from. Reading. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Dave? Where he's he masterminds the GeForce software. Oh, I'll start that where he masterminds GeForce Software dot com and the just released Mtron Pro. Yes. You well? I'm all right, yes, yes. I'm recovering from my hectic weekend with uh, my German friend. Ah, yes. You came down to our neck of the woods and um, played tennis, and I really, really wanted to come along and join in, because I, I play a bit of tennis, or used to. Uh, I probably wouldn't be able to stand up, but I actually ended up going away for the weekend myself to uh, Butlins, which is a kind of low-grade holiday camp here in the UK. Anyway, let's go and get Mark, because I see he's available. So, Mark Tinley from Oxfordshire, Hertfordshire, the Shires. <laughs> Any of those, none of those, actually. I'm no. from Cambridge. Cambridge, oh, damn. I, I, I get a mental really block did. about this. I do get a mental block about it, even though I came over. How are you anyway, Mark? You well? I'm, I'm very well, yeah. I've just driven 150 miles, actually, at breakneck speed to be here, which is all jolly good fun. So are you going for some sort of record? Because last week it was Scotland. This week it was across the country. Maybe you need to go south next week and see how far, how long it takes you to get back. Well, my mum lives in Limington, or my mum and dad live in Limington in Hampshire, which is... Uh, that's south, isn't it? That's in the New Forest. That's about... Well, it's not as far south as you could go, but... But I have been invited to a, a firework thing in Somerset. Really? Saturday. Ah, we're going... Uh, yeah, we're going to do a bit of fireworks tonight. I've just discovered a new genre of music. Have you? I have. What's that? I don't know what it's called yet, but my brother has invented it, and it's utterly brilliant. He's fused a style of music that he's well known for with another style of music, with an American 
singer who looks completely insane and it just it's music it's so wicked i mean i just said to him i would buy that straight away if it's available for self do it mix it and send it to me i love it it's brilliant okay well glad to hear it um martin lee can be found at funnymachine.com while we're on the subject of, m- of music remember last week where we uh we had a couple of topics supplied by asio head and asio head actually um asked us you know how we dealt with finishing things uh completing projects or whatever so we gave him a little a bit of homework and he actually sent back a couple of tracks uh, and now i don't know if everybody got to listen to it. i'm just going to play a little bit so that people can appreciate it this track's called Ottenord. i think i pronounced that right Right, I'm not going to play the lot because it's um, it's about five or six minutes long. Uh, there were two I- tracks. There was Ottenord and Slit Scan. Um, of the two, I think for for my, my my money, my ears, I thought Ottenord was was the more kind of cohesive, and I really liked it. It reminded me, as I said earlier, uh, I was talking before we went online. Um, it reminded me of those sort of ambient dub and kind of vibe, you know, that kind of uh, ambient type music and i really i really quite like this one and it sounded good uh, apparently uh asio had used cubase a korg z1 nordly 2 juno seal mono and a zebra 2 and a chaos pad 2 for those who are interested in that kind of thing which of course we all are otherwise we wouldn't have been here so anyone else said mark you had a listen what did you think i really like the second one. Oh, well interesting more than the first one and it reminded me a bit of the blade runner soundtrack in a weird sort of way i don't know why it reminded me of that because it's not really anything like it but it had that atmosphere little vibe atmosphere yeah it felt like it felt like it was raining in a you know in a futuristic tokyo i suppose okay well that's a pretty i mean that's good it was i thought it was pretty evocative and and worth finishing as you had i think um well done, basically. Uh, and we set you a challenge, and you, you came up trumps with actually two tracks, so you must have been hard at it. And uh, thank you very much for taking it seriously. I really thought, you know, we'd hear no more of it, but uh, I, feel, I feel empowered. I feel like I've <laughs> made something happen or helped something happen just by just, creating a deadline. I have to say you could have the album by Christmas, couldn't you? Do the album by Christmas Except as you head. Album by Christmas. Anybody else care to um, share their, their thoughts on this? No, it was good. I mean, I listened to both of them, liked them both. In fact, I had a trawl around the site, and I like the photography in particular. Um, PJ? Yes, sir. I thought uh, both of the tracks were really nice. Um, reminded me a lot of the gentler stuff that Audisher does sometimes. Um, nice, glitchy, ambient soundscapes. I really enjoyed it, both of them. Yeah, it sounded like there was a machine drum in there, but obviously there isn't because we've been told what there is, but it has that sort of vibe to it. How about you, Rich? Yeah, on the level of I could get my head into where he was coming from, and the individual sounds all worked well for me, and I kind of felt that both pieces were incomplete uh, and not 
ready really for deep evaluation. There were places where I felt like the things, the various elements weren't meshing the way I would want them to. Uh-huh. There, were, uh, there were areas where too many things entered at the same time, I thought. But by and large, I like the textures, the individual textures that are presented, and they are both worthy of continuing to work on and could be brought to something that I thought worked better. But I enjoyed them as as far as they go. I mean, as demo kind of things. One of the things that is really hard to do, and you tend to, when you've been working on something, you do tend to kind of overload things and put lots and lots of stuff in there. But there was still enough of a minimalism about these, you know, that kind of showed that there'd been some restraint exercised which i think i I wanted them to deliver some balls which i never got if i can say that um i wanted them to to deliver some i wanted them to build to something more than than the length that they had was building to okay so a bit more dynamic yeah could it could have been more broken down things just kind of arrived and stayed it seemed to a large extent there were there was one very interesting breakdown i think it was particularly in the first piece which was like my favorite part of the whole thing It was like great i love those elements if i only heard that many elements i'd be happier so it was kind of like that for me the thing is with a lot of this ambient stuff it does tend to sort of there isn't as much of a point to it as something which has more of a, a you know a standard structure or a sort of float a bit more than being more uh, ambling rather than uh straight straight to the jugular right but, but even when i do ambient pieces i like them to have distinct sections where they evolve and there are and there's a return you know and and like that sort of thing and yeah, yeah. uh yeah. okay cool. i i think that both of these are on the way to being something cool Excellent. That's that's my review. <laughs> well, there you go, as you had. Uh, thank you very much for putting your stuff up for listening and also for finishing them. And uh, yeah, like Mark says, maybe the album by Christmas, eh? We'll stick it on YouTube. We'll help. We'll promote it for you if you can get it done. was the Yamaha Tyros 3, which is the new kind of Uber arranger keyboard uh, from Yamaha. And I was uh, that was a demo from a chap called Martin Harris, which I found on YouTube. And um, I was kind of quite surprised at how expressive and, um, and realistic within sort of certain constraints that actually sounded for a keyboard sample, particularly the clarinet. I don't know if everybody got a chance to listen to that. And I just thought it was worth talking about because arranger keyboards have always, you know, or often been seen as, you know, the sort of thing that you would 
see your uncle playing in the parlour and he would be playing a few popular hits in a sort of cheesy fashion. And it seems they've come along an awfully long way since then. Um, PJ, you're kind of, you're, you're an orchestration kind of guy. Did you feel that there was anything there that was impressive in terms of sound? Uh, not <laughs> so much, <laughs> you know. Okay. I mean, I, I think that those keyboards at one point, uh, and I haven't looked, you know, too carefully into them, you know, in, in recent history, but that they, they once presented a lot of bang for the buck, um, you know, certainly the kind of all-inclusive work, workstation style synth, but, uh, you know, I've, I've never been very tuned into the arranger keyboard type things. I'm more of a, you know, buy as many sample libraries as I can get my hands on and can, afford, you know, justify affording uh, in, a, in a given time frame and, and work from there kind of guy. Okay. But were you uh, yeah. were you not um I mean I don't know maybe it was just me but I was just quite surprised at the actual at the level of um realism there was available considering you know I was expecting it to sound like a bon tempi I suppose is what what I, what I, I well the thing about that Nick is I think that they probably poured a lot of the um you know a lot of the technology over from their from their flagship products you know, and, and it's a lot easier to do. I mean, with, with, with memory considerations not really being an issue so much anymore, um, it doesn't surprise me so much that you get a, you know, you're getting a, a considerably uh, better level of, uh, of, of both realism and fidelity these days than you did, you know, even, even five years ago on those types of keyboards, I think. But uh, it's still, I, I don't think it's, it's not really a, a, approaching what would, in, in, in my opinion, cut it you know, on, it, to, to actually do um, any real-world uh, recording. Anybody else um, surprised or about what they expected? I don't know. Dave, Spears? I quite like those articulation buttons. I thought they were a reasonably good idea. But I've kind of done my fill of Arranger workstation keyboards. I did quite a lot of programming for various companies. So I was happy to move away from that. <laughs> I see. It doesn't hold, doesn't hold fond memories for you. It's really very, very tedious when you're programming for these things. I think some of the stuff I did is used on the, um, the motif stuff and things like that. Actually, the best company that I worked with was an Italian company, um, General Music, because they were all really adept musos and stuff. And that was really cool. But um, actually doing the styles and stuff is really very, very tedious. Oh, I see, because you've got to actually program and, and all those variations. Yeah, I can imagine that's quite difficult work, actually. Yeah, after you've done sort of 35 styles in C major, you never want to hear a major chord again. Ah, yes, well, you've got to think about major chord. Is that, is that where the, your, your, uh, your major chord phobia was born from? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can understand. <laughs> Um, okay then, Mark Tinley. I mean, you kind of circuit bent the, the the lower end of the arranger keyboard market, perhaps with the SKs. Can you see anything here that would? Um, I mean, I'd like to play with one. I'm sure they must be quite good fun. I mean, I imagine maybe for getting some juices going and sort of get if if you're not a player like perhaps I am, being able to kind of do the one finger thing and get expressive sounds like that, that would be good. Good, right? Possibly good. I mean, I kind of find with those, th I bought some of those things for my kids. I bought my daughter one of those Yamaha uh, sampling things for about 150 quid, whatever they're called. And 
I played with it for about two days, and then after about two days, I kind of get bored with it, and then I might find one loop out of it that I like and sample it or something. But um, yeah, I mean, the one that I love that I've still got is a Casio Tone 610 or something. I like it when you can press down one key and get a chord. Yeah. And if you press down the key next to it, so if you press down A, you get A major. And then if you press down A and B, you get A minor. And if you press down A, B, and C, you get A seventh or something. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Is it the It's probably I, the same. I mean, that's, that's what they do, these things, I guess, isn't it? That's the way they work. Yeah. Because I, I don't know all of those chords on a keyboard. I only know them on the guitar. So I right. either play a MIDI guitar. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it's got its uses, but uh, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd buy one. I think they're very clever, and I think the artificial intelligence factor that's built into them is pretty impressive. But um, I don't know, maybe I should go and try one of these out, see if I like it. They are $3,900. They're very expensive. They're not, you know, and I remember those um, those kind of very pricey uh combo organs you know the auto accompaniment organs that were large that you used to get in your uncle's front room they were very expensive as well rich i mean and you're you're a great player I and mean, i guess pj's as well so perhaps something like this wouldn't be so attractive but i mean i imagine you could play some pretty darn impressive stuff on it once you um got going on it wouldn't you well maybe um i'm i'm not very well versed in arranger keyboards i'm kind of in the same camp as pj but on the other hand i know there's a big market for these things, and over the last 10 years, they've really come a long way, especially in the area of the styles that Dave made reference to and things like that. The auto accompaniment has become very much more sophisticated, and uh, they've uh, also, as PJ pointed out, taken on the characteristics of whatever their pro-siblings are in many cases, and I get the sense from their website that this thing has taken on some motif technology and some additional uh you know guitaristic algorithms and stuff like that i thought it sounded pretty cool and i know there are parts of the world in which these products are really big uh for example i watched a recital of little japanese girls playing all this incredibly complicated progressive music on these arranger keyboards and just rocking out just doing all this really interesting and diverse stuff and i think it makes the sound palette available to people who aren't that interested in pursuing the professional instruments or maybe even paying for the professional instruments and get more kick out of this sort of thing. So um, this looks, uh, I think Korg probably has equivalent um, products to this and uh, probably a bunch of other people. I know, I think they no do doubt. as well. I mean, the Korg do, I, I forget what their name, range is called, but they do have equally impressive stuff. You know, they seem to be selling them on the, you know, check out how great the piano is, and, check, and but there are certain voices in this that obviously have... Uh, something that because Tyros when it first came out was quite uh made a big splash i know yamaha have always done auto accompanying stuff but this was sort of the yeah. the flagship i guess and, and at that price it so it should be uh-huh well t- to me i mean it's not a product that's terribly relevant to my life but i know that there is a market relevance for these products because that's why those big companies are still in this game and i think most of it uh, exists in a more sort of home living room environment and also perhaps in other countries where people are really like like those girls in Japan I saw who are obviously spending a large portion of their young lives practicing on these things and getting good at them and producing some pretty impressive results it's mass- massive in um, Italy and Spain and all those places you know particularly with the, in the sort of bars you always you know you've got these licensing laws where you can only have kind of two people in a bar performing music at any time so you'll have a singer and a guy on a keyboard player 
and basically the whole night will turn into a kind of karaoke night. You also see that I've, in Mexico, um, all over Mexico. Yeah, I was going to say, Club. you also see it in London. If you go to Greek yeah. nightclubs in London, you see the same thing. And, I did like and also, that, I piano think down Skype. A, the piano down Skype. <laughs> Maybe there should be a Skype what? sound plugin for uh, for a door, so you can. It's like a bit crush, yeah. a bit reduction. Screws with the timing. Yeah. Just drops out, all that sort of stuff. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Maybe we'll start hearing that in mainstream music soon. <laughs> yeah, B- BT yeah. claim it as his own. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I, all I can hear is going. Oh dear, we're having a bad network day. I guess network traffic is bound to be high. There's probably people saying, "Have you seen this um, video of my favourite politician weeping or crying or laughing or whatever all over the net?" So the net's probably fairly heavily congested today. So maybe that's um, why we're experiencing that but uh i'm okay here i can hear everybody so um i hope i hope it's not too bad for everybody else i know some, the people in the chat room are having a bit of difficulty but hopefully it'll be a one-off rich in his you know in his utmost generous style per usual has has brought up the fact that there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of market sh- probably a lot of market share for this type of product all over the world and, and one other place where you do see these arranger keyboards a lot uh around here anywhere is at uh churches um, they seem to use that style of, of keyboard quite a bit. So I would imagine that there's a really big um, house of worship market for oh, arranged well, sure, keyboards. Sure, there must be, yeah. yeah. must be. Massive. I mean, that, that's an enormous market, particularly in the States. I mean, it's it's really big. As, I, uh, as, I've, as I've seen through uh, Sonic State and Synthsite, there's often people commenting on the models there who use them in church, you know, and that's where they hear them from. They're trying to find manuals. They're trying to find out how to, how to bend them to do maybe not the Lord's work, but some kind of contemporary music... Um, stuff who knows but anyway (laughs) tyros 3 you can check it out soon and it's expensive and it's uh, quite impressive it's actually got a harmonizer thing so you can plug your vocal into it and it'll give you a bit of a bit of that sort of business too but uh, yeah go check out there's quite a lot of good uh, videos and some really bad ones too it has to be said (laughs) i think it's got something to do with the fact that people play the top line the vocal line on really inappropriate instruments and maybe the inclusion of these new um super voices means that there'll be a kind of uh an improvement in the top line quality <laughs> i'd just like to say thank you to our sponsors a yamaha music production they've been with us for an awfully long time i really value their continued support so thank you very much to them and i wanted to draw your attention to the pocket track 2g which is a very very small digital recorder that's usb it records with a stereo mic. It's got a built-in limiter, records to WMA, MP3, uh, all sorts of things. It's got a built-in speaker. It's absolutely brilliant for dictaphone, recording live stuff, backing up podcasts, all that kind of thing. comes with a carry case, comes with Cubase AI. You can find more about it at yamahasynth.com forward slash products forward slash pocket track. And that's track spelt T-R-A-K. Go check it out. And uh, once again, thanks very much to Yamaha Music Production for the sponsorship of this podcast. So I have subscribed to the New Scientist um, RSS feed, and uh, I noticed something uh, uh, about iPhone on there and thought, what's that about? And it turns out that Microsoft have invented a new technology, which is basically the same as the touch screen technology, except you don't touch the screen. And the sensor operates outside of the area of the screen so you can make hand gestures around your telephone outside of the physical dimensions of the phone itself and resize your photographs and 
move stuff around and do stuff without actually touching the phone. So it's sort of a 10 centimeter area outside of the phone is this kind of, I don't know, I guess virtual touch. Yeah, I saw that. It looked, it looked, did look quite interesting. It's um, Microsoft have got an entire sensors and devices group that just, that are based in Cambridge in the UK. And they, they've just been coming up with this stuff. And there, there was a video demo that looked quite like it might be kind of good. And I guess it would stop you getting smudgy fingerprints all over your phone and stuff, wouldn't it? My partner's at TechHead at the moment in Barcelona, and she said they've been demoing something with um, 30 cameras underneath it, and there were a whole group of people standing around this thing manipulating the stuff on the screen, which sounded quite interesting. And she said that that unit is only about $8,000 to buy now. Right. Outside of the scope of a lot of us. But, I mean, all of these things are kind of, you know, we, we do occasionally wander into the, the crazy interface and how it's going to affect music area. And I guess all of this stuff, as it becomes more and more mainstream, we're going to start seeing it, you know, at least people are going to be trying it out and seeing if they can apply it to music things. And that's, that's kind of the beauty of all of this stuff, I guess. Well, I have something slightly yeah. tangential to say about this, actually, because, and it also feeds into uh, one of uh, Mark's recent podcasts, actually. Um, Regarding the integration of technology and the brain and creativity, I recently saw a show, I believe on the Discovery Channel, in which they were wiring up, this was mostly involved in work with people who are seriously disabled uh, physically and unable to operate me- mechanical devices on any level. And so the, the uh, principle of the show here was that this person should be able to operate various devices using the electrical impulses created in his brain and they had this sort of cap on him with all of these uh, transducers all over his head where they'd measured and learned the the electrical responses associated for this person with these various activities and ultimately they had these people moving a cursor around on a computer screen by thinking about it wow that and is I, that's pretty impressive. I was really impressed. And, and it was like only a day later that Mark put up a podcast about the deeper integration between the actual thinking of something and bringing it about in technology, if I may paraphrase Mark's podcast that way. And uh, that, that sort of, I thought, was a very, very interesting harbinger. And they talked about how by doing it on the outside of the brain, it's a little bit like putting sensors on the outside of your house to try to hear what's going on inside and they've actually got a woman who's agreed to have some of these things implanted so that they might better oh, brilliant get, wow. gauge what's going on now this you know of course is a rather significantly invasive and scary thing for a person to do but her uh, disability is sufficiently profound that for her it seemed like a reasonable alternative and she was very interested in helping to further this technology that sounds very cool. Actually. I mean, that that kind of jumps the, the the gap between synapse and actually making something happen to a much more acceptable uh, distance. I mean, because that's as we as I've often said, you know, there's an instinctive quality to certain hardware interfaces once you've learnt them, and software using just a mouse, it's hard to make the same thing. But if you're just thinking, I would like this to happen, that would be really cool. Dave, can you see uh, maybe an Entron Pro brain scan version coming up anytime soon? <laughs> that'd be good wouldn't it yeah and it would fry your brain just looking at it um no but i like this i thought this was great because that's the thing with my bleeding iphone is that it's constantly getting you know fingerprints and smudges and everything over it i'm always cleaning it whereas i really like the idea of just scrolling down the page without actually touching the screen 
Yeah, no, that... Well, so I, I get that on the iTouch. You can hover a little bit away from it and not actually touch it sometimes, and it'll it'll do what you think it should, you know, what, without actually touching the screen. So there must be a proximity, you know, uh, 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 which is obviously t- dialed right down to, to the surface or very, very slightly just above it. So it must be possible. But I imagine outputting whatever it has to, you know, to monitor the field in which it monitors. This uses some kind of infrared, so it might not be so bad, but it would eat battery time, you know, really fast, I would imagine, if you start to kind of expand the sensor area on something like this. Have you got... Have you got really hairy fingers? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, just my palms. I have to like really press mine hard. <laughs> I don't actually have hairy fingers. Um, not on the not on the inside, anyway. <laughs> my werewolf moment. So anyway, I think that could be cool. I like the idea of it. There was there was. I mean, people were you know. There's uh, William Gibson and other such sci-fi writers. You know, have written for a long time. I mean, if you look at the. Uh, you know, they're being sort of jacked in, that kind of socket, like the old, um, I can't remember, the, the Matrix. It's They've used that kind of idea where you actually get plugged in neurally to, to the computer. You know, if we can do it via Wi-Fi, that'll be a lot less uh, invasive, I suppose. <laughs> well, there's um, apparently there's a new MPEG codec from uh, Fraunhofer. I think I've pronounced that. It's called HDAAC, and apparently it provides future-proof, lossless compression of 24-bit high-quality music content. And basically, it's a sort of spun way of saying that they do compression for 24-bit 96K. So you can you can basically, you know, will allow you to uh, take take much higher-quality audio and compress it losslessly. Although what they fail to mention um, actually is that. Um, the 24-bit lossless compression is two to one. So even if you do compress it losslessly, so you're not actually going to be able to kind of fill your iPod with all that many tunes to, uh, at this rate. Uh, the uh, the point of it is, is that it's compatible backwards with uh, the AAC. So you can take it down to, um, you know, hundred. it goes right down to 128K. So there's other MP3 stuff in the in between, but it does go up to 96k 24-bit. I just want, I mean, it's great that there's the possibility of all of this audio kind of coming out at a higher bit rate and everything, but it still raises the ugly spectre of, you know, when it, when's the, you know, the storage, which I guess is going to come down. So PJ, what was it about it that caught your eye? Was it just the fact that it was, um, it was high res or? Yeah, just the fact that it was high res, the fact that I hadn't seen this, the fact that they're moving forward on, on, figuring out a way to compress, you know, high resolution audio at, at, at a rate that I think once, you know, once storage comes down, it'll at least make it, um, you know, palatable for archiving purposes, you know, where you, where you could archive, um, you know, your entire audio collection at a higher bit rate and then maybe dither down to something smaller to put on a portable device. If you're carrying it around, uh, for listening purposes or for archiving, um, CDs or vinyl that you have, then it may be a better. That's got to be yeah. worthwhile. I mean, Rich, can you see it um, taken off, or I mean, is it just going to be a question of too many formats, too many? Because they, 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 what they've done is they've licensed that it's a code layer that sits on portable devices and PCs and what have you. So you'll see it embedded in sound cards, presumably, you know, MP3 players, that kind of thing. Um, I was very interested in this, and I think if they can get get it into itunes they may have something here but if they don't uh i'm not sure how ubiquitous it'll become but just in the in the broader sense i think 
that the future of of uh, exponential storage growth is such that we won't be compressing. I mean, there comes a point where you don't need more than a hundred thousand songs on your portable device. So if you could have, you know, say whatever, ten or fifteen or twenty or a hundred thousand or whatever, however many thousands of songs that you need to have on your handheld device at full bandwidth audio, yeah. Then all of the discussion of codecs of of compression codecs becomes sort of moot, and ultimately we'll see that you know because the the exponential increases in the size and the lowering of the costs of the old size devices and such. But but this is very interesting to me. I'd love to hear it. And the, and they're thinking they can make your CD collection obsolete and make this the most desirable download format. And what interests me about that is it presumes that. Though we engineers are all focused on wanting the audio to be as good as possible and as high resolution as possible and working at 96K or higher and 24 bits and all this, I don't see any push in the consumer market for people like feeling there's a hole in their lives where full fidelity audio used to be. No, well, that's true. That's true. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know how this will fly in the broader public, but. And of course, it'll be interesting to me, and I'll use, you know, if it becomes available and I can download something like this and dump it onto my lovely iPod, um, I'll do it. But uh, I don't know how long this is going to, this stuff is going to last, this whole compression codec scenario. I guess, uh, I mean, the, the problem is, is that it's is possibly one of a, a, a capacity, because if the internet has to sort of deal with people downloading 24-bit 96K source audio, uh, even if it is compressed 2 to 1, that's still a massively lar- much larger amount than, uh, you know, a, a high-res MP3. Oh, yeah, it's like a ten. it's like a tenfold size increase. Well, that makes perfect sense, I guess. Um, but thanks very much, PJ, for dropping that. Anyone else got anything to to yeah. mention on this, Dave? Uh, basically, what what Rich said, really. <laughs> what Rich said, yeah, what he said. Oh, I've no yeah. idea what you were talking about. We were talking about the new twenty four bit ninety six k um, AAC HD codec from Fraunhofer. Oh bugger! I researched loads of that. I downloaded the white paper and everything. Child jumping on my head. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to? You want your own personal tumbleweed moment just to compensate? Please. There you go. Well, just for you and East. I mean, that was a plug-in. That's the VB3, which is a virtual tone wheel organ which simulates American electromagnetic organ of the old days. Uh, €49, VST, audio units, pretty much all the formats that you would kind of want, really. Um, Did did Mm -hmm. any of you guys get to listen to that? I thought that, I mean, it was obviously kind of well-played and well-programmed and what have you, but it sounded pretty pretty hot to me. Yep. 
And uh, this is uh, this came from Ian Webster, who's uh, a listener in the states, and he does crackly software. So he's obviously um, kind of appreciative of well-programmed plugins. And Dave Spears, I suppose you might be appreciative of well-programmed plugins because they also do the Mister Ray, which is a full polyphony. Uh, sort of road stage 73 kind of thing as well did you get a chance to check these out or are you aware of them yeah i know a couple of people who use the mr ray and it's always had really really good reviews in fact i went through and checked a load of these out and i very nearly um bought the miles tone because i thought that was very interesting is that a trumpet it sounded one? quite good yeah but it's not um or it's not uh mac audio units yet so I'm assuming that uh, that's probably work in progress. Ah, okay. But yeah, no, definitely the Mr. Ray's got, um, has had some pretty damn good um, reviews from people and tracks that I've heard it on sound really great. In fact, I use the, what is it? The lounge lizard thing. And I've heard a couple of people say that it rivals that. So I'd be, I, I am going to be really interested to check that out. And these seem so cheap as well. And they're, they're presumably modeled, right? I didn't get a chance to go digging too deep, but I mean, they're 50 euros each which seems like a very reasonable price for such a good emulation. And obviously it's got, with the VB3, um, there's a lot of mappable controls because you could hear him switching the, the Leslie and a lot of volume pedal work and what have you. And, you know, it definitely has a realism for that price. It seems kind of quite a bargain, actually. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not that much cheaper than the Native Instruments B4, for example. Oh, okay. I mean, I think I paid 100 bucks for that thing as a standalone years ago. Ah, okay. So, um you know, which is about what fifty euros comes to these days around here. I mean, maybe it's seventy bucks, but, no, that's but true. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair it, point. It did sound great. It did sound great. Um, you know, I have no no qual- no qualms about that. PJ, yeah, I'm with you. I think the VB3 sounds sounds fantastic, and for my money, I think um, the Leslie emulation on on the VB3 sounds a little bit better than the one on the B4. Right, well, that's saying something. I, I, this can be found at genuinesoundware.com, and that's thanks to Ian, Ian Webster about that. Mark Tinley, did you get a chance to listen? No, sorry. I'm <laughs> back, though. Uh, that's good. This now. <laughs> I've made a really strange uh, musical discovery, just to go completely off topic. I've discovered that this... What is it? da 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 is the same as I got you <laughs> what's the other piece so I'm going to make that for next week as my tumbleweed moment oh okay <laughs> is that Mozart Bach Bach <laughs> uh, I knew it was one or the other <laughs> well thank you very much for that I didn't get to listen to this I'll, I'm going to get back on focus and I'm back with you now okay well anyway that was Genuine Sound Software and that came through uh, Ian Webster from cracklysoftware.com thank you very much this was on Gear Sluts, which is a, a great kind of pro audio forum where you can find out all sorts of stuff and basically uh, it was started by a chap called Dirty Halo her, on how hard is logic to learn and it because he's basically looking for another setup that he can take on the road and there isn't a sort of pro tools hd system that he can just chuck in his bag and he didn't want le etc etc i won't go into the boring details but it got me thinking about how how hard it is generally to learn a new door and at what point would you think 
it's not worth it. Even, you know, you're going to stick with the one you know, even though you think, well, actually, this one might have a bit more going for it. You know, what, 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 what would make you jump and how much time would you allow yourself? Rich, because you use, you're a Pro Tools guy and a Logic guy, right? And a lot of other things besides. I've, you, I've used, uh, I've used the history of sequencers, <laughs> hardware and software. So, um, so if another one came along how now, hard is it? would you think, oh boy, do I really have to learn it? Or would you try, would you resist? At this point, it would have to present some pretty compelling feature set that relates specifically to the way we work to make me want to go through what I have to go through to do that. That said, whenever something shows up, like Sony Acid showed up a few years ago, and then uh, at one point, you know, uh, Ableton Live showed up, I'll spend, I'll find a day to spend, and I'll work with it, and I'll work with it, and I'll work with it, and I'll generally end up with a piece of music by the end of the day that I'm starting to enjoy. Um, And I usually find that I can get pretty conversant with something in a day, uh, on the level of being able to operate it professionally, and then to get really good and fast on it takes another couple of weeks, usually, of just getting your your mind wrapped around the interface ideas that were presented with the product. Uh, unless you really want to spend all the time it takes to twist the product into behaving like the last thing you used, which most of them let you do now. Yeah, well, that's the whole... I mean, so, that, I guess that really came in when you got um, the opportunity to kind of totally change custom customizing key commands that was the turning point wasn't it so you could use the yeah, same I think, ones i think logic yeah i think logic and its predecessor notator were the kind of the first to allow you to do that um but that said it's almost always better in my experience to operate the program the way the people who conceived it have set it up to be operated you don't i, I just find that it, it makes more sense to try to walk in their shoes than to try to rebuild their shoes but how would you find that out do do you need to kind of have someone show you you know would you have the luxury of having somebody show you exactly how they conceived it because a lot of the time this thing's comes and it tells you what stuff does but it doesn't tell you how to use it because there are so many ways to use some of these things no i just dive in (laughs) i've been doing this long enough that uh I'll just I'll so as long as I can I'll, I'll, along the that first day of working with it and trying to get some kind of a reasonable result and getting conversant I'll try I'll you know I'll get used to doing different stuff on it I'll just try this they all do most of the same things I mean in terms of you know audio path and you know uh, processing and you know the the basic principles of music and of operating a DAW still apply apply pretty much as you go across the spectrum of the different products. Yeah, that's true. They're not that much different. I mean, Ableton's a little bit different in terms of the workflow aspect, but but uh, but even there, they've all started copying certain aspects of the Ableton GUI. If you look at Logic Eight, it looks a lot like Ableton's GUI, and if you look at what some of what Pro Tools is incorporating in Pro Tools Eight, it incorporates some of that as well. So uh, they're well, all looking at each other's stuff, and it's all getting more and more similar, in my view. I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing because uh, you know then we all at least get to talk in the same language it's not like a totally different you know thing you know so if somebody comes wants to jump ship you've got to make it kind of easier for them to be able to do that you don't want to make it totally impossible and impenetrable right well what i've always said was once the house is built nobody cares what kind of hammer you used (laughs) well that's very true pj i know you've kind of flipped around a little bit because you used to do mac stuff and pc stuff i mean there's what what would compel you and how do you approach learning a new something as major as a new door uh, well, yep, I've jumped around quite a bit, and um, 
it usually takes me a, a little bit longer than it does rich i think mostly because uh because the visual impairment gets in the way sometimes of, sure. of learning a new dawn environment, especially when they're they're really crowded and and incidentally that's what um that's what made me jump ship from digital performer which was uh after opcode's vision the first um digital audio sequencer that i was using religiously on the mac and the the submenus were just too tiny so the first consideration for me is is how to navigate the visual environment i usually take you know a little bit of time a day or two to get used to that and then um i try to find out how to do all the things that are you know you know absolutely requisite uh, obviously, you know, getting getting audio into and out of the DAW and, and all of that first, and then um, then it's just a matter of um, I'm like Rich. I like to to sort of take in the design philosophy of the DAW and try to work with it rather than against it, um, and try to remember that you're using. I mean, it's easy to remember, but remember that you're using a different piece of audio software than you're than you may be used to, and that. Um, even though you're trying to attempt to do something different, you're going to maybe have to take an alternate approach. And I usually find that that adds quite a bit to the creative process. However, that being said, I like to invest most of my time into getting deeper into the primary DAW software that I use, which is currently Cubase, you know, and getting faster and more proficient on it so that I can uh, churn stuff out as quickly as possible and um, use other DAW software such as Ableton Live, which I, I feel comfortable enough in that I, I could take a, uh, a project from st- and have taken a project from start to finish or several projects from start to finish in that software. But I use it more in an ancillary fashion where I'll, I'll use it to build grooves or textures or sound design or that type of thing. And, and the same with Reason um, as sure. well. Yeah, I think that's the way a lot of people use um, the Reason and Live against their kind of central core. Dave Spears, when was the last time you learnt, and um, do you kind of relish the the idea, or is it you just think, no, I can't be bothered? <laughs> All of the above. Um, <laughs> no, I have got really into Live lately uh, with the project that we're on now, and I'm I think. Live is really excellent, actually. Um, no, but I find even, you know, because obviously Logic has been my sequencer of choice for forever, really. And um, I find that, you know, they all work on a very similar level. It's a bit like what Rich said. They all work on, it's a bit like synths and stuff. You know, the architecture is all very similar. It's just a case of how deep you want to go. And therein lies the problem. I mean, sometimes I've been to studios and because somebody else has got their logic environment set up differently or they've changed the key commands, I go back to being a baby again on the thing. So I normally just stick with my my own key commands and um, my own sequencer, really. Yeah, I suppose. So. I mean, that's the thing. With, with, I, I, I've tried to get into live, and I kind of need. I almost need a bit of time with somebody who goes, "Yeah, this is how it, how I used it," because it is. It's it's just a little bit too much of a quantum shift from my usual way of working. But then things like you know, I'll, I'll yeah. fire up Pro Tools, for instance. Like, if I need to do certain mm. things, I mean, because quite often we'll take we'll get a load of stems that maybe are in broadcast WAV format, and I have to print bar naught stems from them and also i'll get them in pro tools and i'll figure out how to do that in pro tools but it's not my door of choice even though i know obviously it works very very well and it's becoming more and more sophisticated but it's 
the thought of having to learn again i mean i look back and learn you know think how long it took me to learn pro 24 how long it looked me i mean these are much more sophisticated and much less um obvious how to use nowadays it's much easier but it's sort of how how often do you get a day to learn a new system you know you need like you say rich you have to have a compelling reason to do that mark what do you think would you because i fancy sonar i fancy learning sonar in live because sonar looks pretty good and you know there's a lot of stuff in there i'd like to try but anyway, what do you think? The only one I have, um, I think, I think that it takes me between a day and three days to master a piece of software. I think that uh, it would have to have a bloody good. I'd have to have a bloody good reason for doing it. And the last time I had a good reason for doing it was when Duran Duran said, "We don't want to use Logic on this album. We want to use Pro Tools." So my new piece of software, as opposed to the last version of Pro Tools, which I'd used, which was either two or three, was to jump from Logic to Pro Tools 5, I think. Right. But now, having having used Pro Tools 5, there's certain things that I would absolutely do in Pro Tools as opposed to doing them in Logic. So anything musical, I think, would take place in Logic. Anything uh, to do with time-stretching audio and moving bits of audio around or moving regions around, I would do in Pro Tools. And mainly because Rich Hilton taught me a really, really brilliant way of doing that, which I still do, actually. Your whole beat-matching groove routine thing that you do, I still do that um, for cool. working on stuff. The only, the only one I haven't mastered is <laughs> Mark of the Unicorn's Digital Performer, which I can't get my head around at all. Uh, I've used Ableton Live. I think that's kind of cool. I think... Who, whoever said or everybody said that they all work in much of the same kind of way don't they so for me like diving into a new piece of technology like that doesn't take me long to figure out where everything is how it works why it works and what it's doing right put a uh, a video recorder in front of me and i'm absolutely stumped put a dvd player in front of me same thing ask me to program the channels into the television and it's like i don't know though that whole interface works in such a different way that it I get really frustrated with it. And at the point I'm about to throw the remote control across the room, my partner goes, come on, let me do it. <laughs> I think that's just because, you know, at least in software, that you know, they have to kind of work in terms of TVs and DVs and vi- videos and that sort of thing. They have to work in a kind of shorthand that we're not used to. You know, we have the luxury with our complex software that we use is, of having it in sort of fairly f- full fat version you know where the where you don't get abbreviations and strange kind of function jumps and what have you uh regarding your your uh wanting to wrap your head around ableton a little better i think one of the keys to it is to realize that that thing that looks like a mixer really isn't a mixer in the traditional sense sure that all those slots above the faders have nothing to do with audio processing and routing and have everything to do with dropping audio clips and creating song arrangements no, I I kind of get that. I think I just don't know how to apply it, if you see what I mean. I can't see how I could go, right, if I'm starting from scratch, what do I do now? Do you know what I mean? It's like, where do I kind of start to get something going? I don't, I don't necessarily get that part of it, how to sort of jump in and get something happening. And then from that workflow point of view, I understand the way that that works and the chaining and the, the clips and all that. I just don't quite see how I can apply it to doing stuff. Okay, have you ever done a remix where you've put uh, 24 loops onto a piece of 
two-inch tape and then used the mutes on an SSL desk to make an arrangement. No, but I know uh, William Orbit did that a lot, didn't he? That was his kind of thing. Right. I mean, that's how I think of Ableton. I think you have everything running all at once and then you're just switching between different sets of loops. So you just come up with a load of stuff that sounds good mm-hmm. and then flip between it? It's well, actually you could like, a, like a really complex so pattern Sorry. sequencer. Okay, yeah, I, I think that's probably well, it because I just don't work it in pattern mode. That's just not my thing. Well, think of, it, think of yourself as a DJ and you've got like 15 turntables all spinning perfectly in time with each other and you're just fading them in and out or muting them in and out. And then it, arrange, it records the mutes as an arrangement. Ah, okay, so you do it that way. So you get a load of stuff going and go, right, I'm going to record this now and just see how it works. Hmm, okay. So it's really good for creating real-time vibe and punching stuff in and out and, you know, jumping between different patterns. So you might play 18, uh, 16 bars, 18 bars of something and go, okay, I want to change to this now. And it allows you to make that performance and it remembers it and then it allows you to, like, make minor edits to that and oh, okay okay i got it I'll, I'll try that next time yeah also the ability to map controllers to various things is really easy and slick and uh you can do a lot of really cool interaction with the various things in the program from almost any kind of hardware device you have ah cool all right i'm gonna go back to it and give it a go but i think that's probably a good time to leave um the Sonic Talk number 106. Uh, I want to just say uh, thanks to all our listeners in sonicstate.com forward slash live for hanging in there. I know there's been some problems with the audio, but I think that's probably down to post-election traffic. There must be a lot of people on Stick'em, which is the service we're using, who are I'm doing their thing having their say so maybe that's what it's down to but thanks everybody for joining us and thank you to my guests especially uh, also for hanging in there um i'll say thanks to rich hilton from T- connecticut first of all thank you rich for coming in a pleasure as always and i hope you have a good day at the office um if that's what indeed you're doing today by office mm-hmm. i mean studio of course and uh rich can be found at myspace.com forward slash hiltonius uh, also thanks to dave spears uh, from g4software.com thank you for joining us too i know you've been a bit quiet this week not too been typing i i, I suspect uh no. <laughs> no just nothing you say has any interest to me <laughs> i'm just quite tired today no no it's been good thank you oh yes well i guess you were up late watching the uh watching the exciting results come in. So, all right, Dave can be found, g4software.com. Thank you very much, Dave. Uh, of course, you can find more about their new release, which is the GeForce Mtron Pro uh, over there. So I thoroughly recommend you go over. And also, PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, thank you very much for joining us too. Thank you so much, Nick. Greatly and, appreciate it. And of course, Mark Tinley, also thank you for joining us for driving back all that way, 150 miles this week. I guess it doesn't beat your 600-mile round trip to Scotland, but it's uh, it's still pretty impressive. Thank you very much for joining us as well. You're welcome. I, can I mention an iPhone application I found this week? Why not? It's called Uflute. Okay. Everyone should have this. You, it, basically, you get a flute, uh, what would you call that? A fret, not a fretboard, a flute, um, you know, the holes thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's technical of me. You have that in front of your mouth, and you blow into the microphone to play it. It's so funny. It just has me in stitches every time I try playing it. Oh, damn, I can't use it on the iPod, unfortunately. And another one called Synth Pond as well, I discovered, which is rather nice, which is like, you know, the thing where you put the cubes on the touch interface and they all start interacting with each other. It's sort of like a 
a very simple version of that. You just put lots of things into what's basically a pond, and these ripples go out, and they all hit each other, and they all interact with each other. Oh, that it's sounds very a- ambient. Mm. It's cool. It's really cool. Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks very much. Well, send us the links, and we'll we'll, we'll fly, fly them up there. We should you should do some reviews for us, Mark. I've always I want to get some iPod applica- and iPhone application reviews going. So we should get you going on that. Anyway, thanks, guys. Thank you very much, and um, we will reconvene next week. I think I'm going to play at, um, Sonic Talk number one hundred six with another piece from Azio Head, which is entitled Slit Scan.